Welcome to Legend Lore with Jess and Lauren, where we talk about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Earth, fire, wind, water, metal, and wood. By their powers combined, we're talking about the elemental planes today. I'm Jess. I'm a game designer and frequent contributor to the Pathfinder and Starfinder RPGs. And I'm Lauren, your friendly neighborhood wildlife biologist. And before we get started today, I'm just going to remind everyone that Legend Lore is headcanons only. We're going to dive into some Pathfinder 2 lore and maybe a little bit of rules, but we are not here to give official answers or rulings on anything we talk about. Yo, Jess, this is probably... This episode is probably one that I've been more stoked about because we had to use the Rage of Elements. We had to use that book. I've been excited about a lot of the other books, like Secrets of Magic. I was real excited about that, Guns and Gears, but Rage of Elements has got me so friggin' stoked. Yo, whose name is on the cover of that book? Oh, you know what? Uh, Logan Bonner is on the cover of the book. Sen HHS is on the cover of the book. And then also uh, one Jessica Redekop is on the cover of that book. Legend Lore's own Jess Redekop is on the front of that book. That's me. Yeah, so if you are listening to this episode on the day that it goes live, then today is... August 3rd, the first day of Gen Con 2023, and the release date of Rage of Elements. This means that old Lauren here, who, who, freak, who typically I get all my, all my Pathfinder reading from the physical copies, I'm, I'm using the review copy, the review PDF that mm-hmm. the network gets sent, so I only kind of brushed through it. Jess, that means yeah. that. You are our elemental queen. You will take us on this journey. You'll take me on this journey through the inner sphere. And I will woo, ooh, and ah at the sights that you have to show me. Yeah. So the first thing that we have to address is, like, what even is the inner sphere anyway? We said this episode is about the elemental planes. So, like, are these two things the same? Are they different things? What is the inner sphere? What are the elemental planes? What's the deal with the inner sphere? Yeah, so the like the planar cosmology for Pathfinder is generally referred to as the great beyond. So you have like the universe and Golarian is one planet in the universe and then there's all the other planets that get detailed in the Distant Worlds book and then they get explored further in the Starfinder RPG. And so all of that is the universe. And the universe is at the center of what we call the inner sphere. And it's called the inner sphere because it is like the the innermost section of the outer sphere. And then the inner sphere and the outer sphere together make up the great beyond. I loved the way you described this first to me as this planar onion. Yeah. Yeah, that is all these layers. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In my opinion, describing the inner sphere as an onion is a really, it's one of the easiest ways to like picture and understand the way that it's all laid out. So like at the very center, at the core, that's where the universe is. That's where Galarian is. And then surrounding that, the first layer that is like resting up against the universe is the plane of air. And then 
growing, emerging, re-emerging into the plane of air are the, the new growths of the plane of wood. And so the plane of wood isn't its own complete layer. It doesn't completely surround the plane of air, but it's like, it's patchy. So all of the, the patches of the plane of wood are next after the plane of air. And it's then- starting to grow back in, yeah, in yeah. these different areas. Yeah, It's, it's like blossoming. Oh, it's blossoming. It, and it, so you then be, you better keep an eye on it. You don't want it to leaf. Mm-hmm. And then the what next else? plane. What else? <laughs> what else, Lauren? Do you have another joke for us? I mean, I was going to branch out into some other tree puns, but if mm-hmm. you'd rather me not. Well, I think there will be lots of time for those. That's true. That's true. Maybe I should leaf this here. All right, I'm sorry to I'm sorry that I had to use leaf twice, but the first one kind of sucked. I really needed okay. to redeem the classic. You leaf. wanted the do over. You wanted the do over on I the wanted, leaf pun. You know, I wanted a, a new a new growth on it. Mm. God, that's mm. bad. Mm-hmm. Just look, I'm bad tonight. Anyway, so we have the plane of air, and then we have the like the blossoming patches of the plane of wood, and then the next complete layer that touches both the plane of air and the plane of wood is the plane of water. And then much like the plane of wood is kind of like patchy and sporadic, the plane of metal is also like regrowing. And so the plane of metal is next after the plane of water. And then in the same way that the plane of water touched both wood and air, the plane of earth touches both metal and water. And then the final complete layer around all of this is the plane of fire. And so all of these like layers are spherical in the way that like the, a layer of onion would be spherical and the whole onion is a sphere. And so the entire inner sphere encapsulated in the fire of the plane of fire is like at the center, like a giant burning sun of the outer sphere where you will find all of your outer planes, like your axis, your boneyard, your elysium, your hell. As I'm looking at this image of the inner sphere, I'm just now realizing that since fire is the outermost layer and earth mm-hmm. is beneath it, if mm-hmm. earth just started expanding infinitely and consumed all of the planes inside of it, the inner sphere would just be a spicy meatball. Well... Drew, make sure you leave an awkward silence there. (laughs) So I understand how in the graphic, perhaps the plane of Earth looks meaty. Quite, yeah. Do you like the spice that is the plane of fire? Yeah, if any of you at home want to see the map, it appears both in Rage of Elements and it's also in an entry on the Paizo blog. And I believe you'll also find it on the Great Beyond entry on like Pathfinder Wiki. I believe that they've collected it from the Paizo blog already. So yeah, like that's the, the kind of gist of the way, like what the inner sphere is. Uh, the inner sphere contains the elemental planes, but it contains more planes than that as well, because it has the universe at the center. And then there are a number of planes at the center that also overlap with the universe. So that's where you'll find Creations Forge, the Ethereal Plane, the First World, 
the uh, the netherworld and the void. So all of those are also contained at the center of the inner sphere. So the inner sphere describes all of those, and then the elemental planes is more specific and describes just the elemental layers of the onion. Now these overlapping planes, I think I decided just now that it's easiest to think about as like, as like the filters of light, you know, mm-hmm. or like, but all of these are kind of there at the same time. At any given time, you have the void, you have the, the first world uh, and mm-hmm. all of this. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think like if you remove one, if you remove like one filter from like, you know, you can see like how the light changes, right? Mm-hmm. How the image mm-hmm. changes. And then you can get a better look at that filter. But when you put them all together, you get a normal picture. Is that kind of yeah. how this is? Like these are like, you know, like different like filters, but they're also places that exist yeah. and overlap. Yeah, so you know, like the idea of there being like an overlapping spirit world with our world where uh, it exists like over top of and in sync with, but maybe just like slightly out of sync and just slightly like off. And so the idea of like a parallel dimension that lies alongside and is slightly different. That's what's going on with all of the overlapping planes. Hmm. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I, spoiler, uh, I guess not really a spoiler. Disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer. I've always been crazy about uh, the elemental planes in all of my my D20 days. Mm-hmm. Throughout my, my Dungeons and Dragons, like, you know, play time. I just, this was always my favorite topic was 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 the, the elemental planes and all the other all the other extra planar stuff. So that's why I'm mm-hmm. so excited for all the lore that we're getting with Rage of Elements. Yeah. And to, so get, to, some... and to get to learn about it from Miss Frizzle herself, <laughs> the chess <laughs> is, is just such a treat. Yeah, so there's a lot going on with the inner sphere and the outer sphere and the great beyond as a whole. But today we will be focusing just on the elemental planes. Now, if we can picture like these layers upon layers of planes right does that mean that if you're if you're swimming in the plane of water you can just keep swimming up until you hit the the plane of metal or the plane of earth how do you get from one plane to another yeah so you can travel between planes using uh magic like plane shift or interplanar teleport you can use portals and then there are uh what are considered like border areas on the planes where like on the plane of air you would get close to like where some of the plane of wood is regrowing or a border where the plane of air and the plane of uh water kind of like get close to each other and they're all kind of like you know like otherworldly infinite spaces that operate on different rules and different like gravities and you know, there there are certain uh, realities of the reality of uh, a different plane of existence that don't completely line up with the way that you would consider, like, two spaces being next to each other actually being next to each other, but they are next to each other in the sense that you can get from one to the other, in a, in a sense. Well, are they, are they infinite in the literal sense? Or are they infinite, yes. like, the way we expect our universe is? Where we've got all no. this stuff, but maybe if you kept going so dang far, maybe you'd just stop having stuff. Uh, the the sense in which all like 
all planes, like all of the inner planes and all of the outer planes are all considered infinite uh, to a certain extent in a sense that is like intentionally nebulous. Hmm. And so like th there is a, a certain amount of the infinite nature of one of these planes that is like it's infinite but it also has like defined borders but the defined borders are not necessarily in like the place where you would expect like yeah, the, yeah. like the, the the border areas aren't actually necessarily a border per se unless that's the way you want to run it which you can but um i picture it like infinite going left and right but maybe it, maybe bounded up going up and down uh, well, certainly not the case for all of these planes. You could that's make the funny. argument that some of them might be that way, potentially, but for some of them, like the plane of air, that's certainly not the case. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, the, so the, the way in which an elemental plane is an infinite space is an area that is kind of like intentionally nebulous, which is why the way that I talk about it is kind of like filled with contradictions of like it's infinite but it has borders but the borders aren't actually outlining the bounds of the space but you could use the borders to exit over into the thing that is physically next to it and so the the kind of like layered contradictions of this is a part of what creates the the otherworldly fantastical fantasy of traveling to other planes it's a feature where, not a bug yeah yeah where you you expect and you want things to function differently than they do in the universe. Now, I guess that while the elemental planes have these often have these border areas in different parts so you can, you know, walk from one to the other if walking is the lo the mode mm -hmm. of locomotion there. But I guess you don't necessarily have a true border area with the universe and any of the planes or do you? There isn't there isn't. Um you could consider the entire plane of air having a border area with like the atmosphere and space, right? But there's also areas on Golarian that are kind of like portals or planar nexuses or places where Golarian is particularly attuned to one of the elemental planes. Like there is the Eye of Abendigo, which is a permanent storm and a planar nexus that connects Golarian to the plane of air. There are also a lot of portals to the plane of air that are found at the centers of like uh, like the biggest storm clouds in the sky during a storm. And then you have places like the Vaults of Orv in the Darklands or the Emerald Spire in the River Kingdoms, which are structures built by Xyamorns, creatures from the plane of Earth on Golarion, that even now, after the Xyamorns have long since left Golarion, these structures still maintain a strong connection to the plane of Earth where the Xyamorns were born. That's so cool. I, I was looking at the art for the Xyomorns that Rage mm -hmm. of Elements introduces, and I'm just like, mm. I've heard of these guys, and I never thought anything of them until today, because they yeah. are so freaking neat. Oh, they're there's so also, neat. Yeah, there's also a lot of options for ways that you can play, like, elemental-themed characters on Golarion without needing to actually go to the elemental planes. Like, you could play a Geniekin character. The That's right, with all these portals. Come into yeah, the plane. absolutely. You're gonna think that people are coming from there, and maybe yeah. intermix it a little bit. Yeah, you got your sylphs, which are the air genie kin. Your oreads, the earth genie kin. The nari, the fire genie kin. The talos, the metal genie kin. Undyne, the water genie kin, and the ardande, the wood genie kin. And then, of course, you have the suli, who are the genie kin of all of the elements combined. One of my favorite things that you told me about the genie kin 
wasn't necessarily that they are descended from these different elemental planes or, mm. or, or from creatures related to these elemental planes, but you also said that just contact with a particularly strong element can make you become one of these genie kin. Yeah, like... I, I just thought, I thought that was such an interesting, such an interesting way you could start thinking about characters uh, becoming yeah. one of these genie kin. Yeah, there is um, a character in my Strength of Thousands game that I'm GMing who is an... Um, who is an undine and he is an undine because uh his grandfather was a pirate in the shackles who was out on the sea when the eye of abendigo like formed around him and being at the nexus of the eye of abendigo as it formed transformed his grandfather into an undine yeah see that's really cool and yeah. it's it's kind of like a pathfinder specific thing where our elemental adjacent kin. These are genie kin, right? Mm -hmm. And but I love the way Pathfinder has fleshed out genies into this like large role where they've got these cultures. You know, they're more than mm -hmm. just in a lamp granting wishes. You know, yeah. they've got whole empires that you have to consider how you want to engage with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and genie kin is it. definitely like a. I consider genie kin to be like a very lore focused name. Like the most exactly. common. Uh, way for a geniekin to have an elemental influence on them is to have like a genie ancestor but that's not the only way it's just the way that is most common and because it's most common that is why most people would assume that the geniekin are the descendants of genies and so that's why they are called that whereas if a character were like kind of a, a planar scholar uh you know, like, like a pedant or know-it-all. They might call them the elemental planar scions instead. And even if your character is descended from a genie directly, this mm -hmm. still isn't necessarily genie in the I dream of genie, you know, sense that we think about on Earth commonly. This yeah. is genie in the Pathfinder sense, which is like the... the, the it's been watered down from the we grant wishes and wear weird shoes. You know, mm -hmm. this is now just, they have their own cultures. They're kind of just a, a type of people, albeit very powerful and very elementally aligned. And I am here for it. The more you read about them, the more you learn about the genies of Galarian, of Pathfinder, they are so interesting. I just love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, so Rage of Elements, as I think most people have heard, is introducing two new elemental planes. So the planes of wood and the plane of metal are returning, they're re-emerging, they're regrowing and re-entering their place in the inner sphere among the elemental planes. And so with Pathfinder kind of uh, acknowledging metal and wood as elements what does this even look like in terms of elemental philosophies so these elemental philosophies this is just like you know like how the greeks thought of like you know like the four elements or something mm -hmm. is, is this is like that isn't it this is how different cultures think about yeah what constitutes our world what are the elements that constitute our world is that yeah. what this is in the yeah and so right? Yeah, absolutely. And so inner sea elementalism, the view that the elements are air, earth, fire, and water, is the view of elementalism that is most prevalent in the inner sea. And there are still elementalists who like practice that philosophy, and that is what they believe of elements. And so you can practice 
with the idea of air, earth, fire, and water as the elements that are like your elements of concern. But then you also have the elemental cycle that's introduced in Rage of Elements. And that is the idea of the elements as a cycle of fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. Where like fire feeds into earth, earth feeds into metal, metal feeds into water, water feeds into wood, and wood feeds into fire. And they are a cycle of energy continually like being passed through these elements. I really like this. And you would then assume too that with in canon, you know, wood and metal are recently coming back. They're recently being rediscovered. Mm -hmm. You would think that the, even the classic inner sea elementalists might start adopting the elemental cycle. They could, yeah. And there are definitely areas of like uh, Tian Sha, especially, where uh, ancient lore about the elemental cycle was preserved. And so there are people in Tian Sha who uh, maybe knew that there were like elemental metal and elemental wood and who had the idea that maybe these elements might return or maybe these might be forces worth considering as their own elements. And, and so with those planes re-emerging, the elemental cycle is kind of, you know, re-emerging as well as a more popular, more adopted view of how the elements work. And careful listeners will notice that when Jeff was reading out the ones for the elemental cycle, she only said five of them. Air is absent from this list. That is true. But there are other elemental philosophies as well than just inner sea elementalism and the elemental cycle. Uh, Rage of Elements details uh, three of them, but there's absolutely others as well that you could extrapolate from the information in Rage of Elements or just create your own. Uh, the other three examples given, uh, Dwarven Elementalism uh, focuses on the elements of sky, stone, and metal. The Elven Tripartite uh, focuses on the elements of earth, water, and wood. And then Rage of Elements also mentions Goblin Elementalism, which is any collection of eight to ten nouns that a goblin feels like naming as elements at that time, often including uh, sleep, food, drinks, and of course, the very popular goblin element of fire. Goblin elementalism feels less like a, an organized philosophy and more like a specific thing to each goblin. What are your eight to ten elements? It could also just be a thing that fluctuates with your mood. Like, which cool. elements do you think are the most important uh, parts of your life right now versus yesterday versus tomorrow? That's very interesting. Yeah. So... Let's get to the let's get to the meat of this, Jess. Tell oh, me yeah. about the planes, because I am so ready to start putting PCs on the ground in the planes that have a ground. Yeah, so we've talked about Golarian at the center of the inner sphere and what the elements are like on Golarian. But Golarian moving... and the other planets in the universe, mm -hmm, I, I want to mm -hmm. add, because later there's an interesting note about that. Yeah, but moving out from the universe, the first plane that we reach is the plane of air. And so this is the one that borders the universe. The plane of air is mostly clouds and empty skies, illuminated both by great spheres of light and also by the distant starlight of all of the different stars and constellations in the universe. So it does kind of, even if it's not like physically sharing a border, it does mm -hmm. still kind of reach, you know, the stars yes. from the universe. 
Yeah, the, Star Light. The, That's interesting. the precise way in which the border regions like are literally next to each other and only like metaphorically next to each other and are literal borders that you can cross but are also not necessarily at the edges of either bounded space is kind of you know like like loosey goosey. They're they're border areas, but they're the borders of infinite spaces, and it's kind of intentionally nebulous, right? And it, and it's kind of just you know like light is special. Light mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. in our universe, light is kind of a special thing, you know. So, it's, so it's pretty good. Yeah. So the plane of air is mostly just like air, but there is solid ground made of rock and ice, either created by residents or intentionally imported from other planes. And then there's also oh. the returning pockets of the plane of wood that have released giant pieces of driftwood across the plains. Well. I liked where the book described it, kind of like asteroids, like floating, mm-hmm. you know, in the plane. I, th- I thought it was really evocative. It's anti-space, you know. In space, yeah. you've got asteroids floating and nothing. In air, you've got things floating in the air. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And so then the Jathum Empire, this is the air genies, uh, they also have cities that are built on the insides of giant spheres made of brass and iron that float through the plane. And these spheres, though, are kind of like a nexus of superstition for the plane's inhabitants, uh, many of whom believe that the spheres are cursed or that they are either the remains or the prisons uh, of ancient and forgotten enemies. I loved reading about the spheres because I thought it was such, just such a cool concept that you've got these giant, like, you know, pure metal, like, orbs just floating around and it was discovered that they're hollow and have maybe an entire civilization living them. I mean, that one mm-hmm. you mentioned. This is where the Kizadirs, I'm going to get used to pronouncing these. They, you know, these geniekin who are not oh, similar. They're genies. To, oh, that's right. These are full-on genies from the Plane mm-hmm. of Wood that are not similar to the genies from the Plane of Wood. Evolutionarily speaking, this implies... Yeah some type of event that separates them and then oh it's so cool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so then what's in the other what's in the other spheres i think that's the most yeah. interesting thing i think that's the most interesting thing on the plane of air yeah there's a lot of spheres and uh there's a lot of uh taste tasty sphere lore so you're on the plane of air you want to get around like what do you do how do you do that this is primarily like just open space open air between all of these weird freaky spheres and like ice islands and uh, pieces of driftwood like what do you even do to get around well i assume you fly you can fly yeah so the plane of air has subjective gravity oh wait you can fly that's right anyone anyone can fly or Maybe it might help to consider it like anyone can fall in any direction they choose because gravity is subjective, so you can decide which direction is up and which direction is down. So if you are continually falling down, but it's up to you what direction is down, you can functionally fly through the plane. I assume that less aerial mortals probably need some assistance maybe not something that like would fully work on glarian that might be overkill but like you know like a wing suit i imagine a human on the plane of air might benefit from a wing suit you don't need it but it might make you feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. 
Flying around might be kind of slow though. So there are also sky streams, which are routes of air that more experienced sailors can navigate to travel more quickly throughout the plains. You can also rent airships or book passage on airships or rent flying mounts to reach remote destinations that aren't connected by the, the sky streams. What are some of the coolest like places on the on the plane of air? Like the specific like what are some named locations? I want to hit the oh, yeah. named locations in a lot of these in the lot Oh of yeah. Places, so my number one happens. named location of the inner uh, of the uh, the plane of air is the spheres. Well, that's true. Yeah, I guess that is. Yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of like a shit post answer though, so. <laughs> okay. But the major on each, cities on each plane, yeah. where can I sell wares and buy mm -hmm. delicious fare? Yeah, the major cities on the plane of air. We've got Armun Kalisk, which is the capital of the Jathum Empire, the Air Genies. And so uh, Armun Kalisk is a series of seven floating island platforms. Magic simulates gravity and also like day and night inside of the city. So you can walk around, you're not going to be floating all over the place or falling off of one of these islands. And there will be like, uh, it'll be light during the day and dark at night. There are a lot of airship docks, also the Silver Sky Markets as a hub of trade. And so because this is the capital of the Jathum Empire, uh, Sultan Zephyr, uh, Lord of the Heavens and All Stars and the Mortal Void, so on and so forth, uh, the, uh, the Sultan of the Jathum Empire rules Armun Kalisk. But there's also Port Eclipse if you want to stay like outside of the genie's eyes. Port Eclipse is a pirate harbor that is hidden inside of a hollow island. And this is where all of like the, the scoundrels and the sky captains of the plane hide out. And the mayor I love of Port a good pirate harbor. Oh yeah. Now the elemental lords were kind of a new concept to me. I've heard you talk about them and I've heard some other people mention the elemental lords. I'm like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. a thing. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's fine. And then when I started reading about them, I was like, wow, mm -hmm. these are, actually really interesting like mm -hmm. i was thinking okay elemental lords of air these are a bunch of people who are made out of air and they do air stuff okay whatever no man there's so much more than that it originally the elemental lords were just that though they were just like the two powerful forces that were created with the elemental planes and they ruled over it but then as time went on i've learned that they started to take on different properties that humans or, or mortal, that mortals more like had associated with those elements. And so yeah. for the four elements of the inner sea, the ones that have been around this whole time, their elemental lords have diversified and taken on this good versus bad kind of, kind of, kind of form. And it's, it's, yeah. it's really cool. And reading about them both is just so, I love it. Mm. Yeah, and so for air, the good elemental lord is Rangigori, the Zephyrus Prince. And so he is the elemental lord of air, thunderstorms, and welcome breezes. And so these are like aspects of air that people think are nice, they're good for them. The, the storm waters your crops, the welcome breeze cools you off on a hot day, right? And so that's why Rangigori is the like good elemental lord of air. And then real quickly, uh, Rhinogori's edicts are to open closed areas to fresh air, to travel throughout your surroundings daily, and then to fly or make creatures that fly. 
or, or you know, whatever or other to fly, or yeah, or to fly or make creations that fly. And then his anathema are to wrongfully imprison a creature, restrain a creature longer or more tightly than is necessary, or to suffocate a creature. Don't deny and the then, creature fresh air. Don't yeah, do it. And then in direct contrast to the anathema that Ragnagori has, Hashura, the Duchess of All Winds, is the elemental lord of air, last breaths, and windstorms. And so unlike a thunderstorm that's going to water your crops, a windstorm is going to come in and just kind of, like, destroy things. You're going to blow your roof off. You're going to have to yeah. buy a new roof. Yeah, and then the last breaths, like, that's death. That's, like, suffocation. That's dying. You get and no so, more air. Yeah, yeah. And so Hashura's edicts are to revel in formlessness and freedom, to humiliate terrestrial creatures, and to kill foes with uh, by having them fall or with hazards from high winds. And Hushura's anathema are to deny a flying creature the ability to fly or to walk on earth if you could easily travel otherwise. And so like even without going into the details of these two elemental lords, you can see how the idea of what it means to be a lord of air is very different between the two. So we're on the plane of air, our group yeah. of hypothetical adventurers. Yeah. And, you know, we find, like, a, a, a copse of trees that is starting to grow, and we saunter into the plane of wood. What do you yes. see? So the plane of wood, re-emerging into the inner sphere, is regrowing in the places between the plane of air and the plane of water. Uh, the plane of wood is made up of, like, fractal trees growing eternally across the entire plane. So, like, in the way that maybe on a, a micro scale, um, different plants and stuff grow in, like, a fractal pattern. Or, like, the twigs branching off of a tree might fractal out. The entire plane of wood is, like, uh, trees that grow into trees that grow into trees. Like, new roots growing out of the boughs of the trees that came before them. Uh, day and, and night. It's all one big tangly mess mm -hmm. and full of bugs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, probably. And then everything is like perfectly symmetrical on the plane of wood. This is like extremely orderly trees, right? Extremely orderly oh, I growths. See. I see. So it might be tangly, but tangly with, with a reason to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything grows like precisely in the pattern that it is growing in, right? So nothing is mm -hmm. growing out just in like a random direction. It's all the the fractal branches fractaling out and fractaling out and fractaling out, and everything is like the same pattern repeated, repeated, repeated. These are right? not. It's a non-standard configuration of these vines. This is the sacred vine configuration. Perhaps. I mean, it's all extremely standard and extremely symmetrical. Yeah. Yeah. But like this, the plane of wood is, you could think of it like the pattern that the fractal tessellation patterns that you'll see in nature, or like this is the origin of where like the golden ratio comes from. It all comes from the plane of wood. Like the plane of wood is the pattern for how these things would grow if they grew perfectly in accordance with the pattern. Whereas because Golarian and the universe are not purely a place of wood, where wood grows, it is interfered with by other elements and the patterns are broken. I kind of, I like the way you mentioned the golden ratio and now I'm going to always picture the whole plane of wood 
for the most part, kind of being basked in like a soft, golden, uh, accessible to photosynthesis light. Yeah, well, I mean, day and night adhere to the glow cycles of any given region's f like local flora, and so oh, then okay. there are entire world-sized tre world trees as well, serving as the ground for the new forests that grow on top of them. They have webbing, like moss on tree bark. It's just everything just growing out infinitely. I see. And, and so, so if you have all these different biomes with the different mm -hmm. day and nights, you're going to have different biomes with different temperatures you're mm -hmm. gonna have all, any all kinds of different little microcosms that you could exactly yeah and then all of these different areas with their different temperatures and their different plants that grow there also have different types of weather as well so there might be some areas that have like burning sap or some areas where the pollen is so thick that it like falls down like snow and covers the trees like snowfall or you might have floral weather, where clouds are releasing storms of falling petals. Oh, instead of like a sandstorm, you have like a pine needle storm? Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. That'd be kind of cool. But one, one of the other things that's going on with the plane of wood is that the plane of wood is also suffering from a poison called Ayerzul's Blight. This is an insidious like sickness on the plane that was brought back to the plane after the armies of the wood tried and failed to invade the plane of earth. The sickness has destroyed not only cities, but entire biomes of the plane, and it's also injured one of the elemental lords. So so this is all like this is karma, kinda. Like they went and sort invaded of. the plane of earth and they brought back some diseases that they weren't happy about. Uh Sort of. I don't know if I would say that it's karma, um, but we'll get to Irazul when we get to him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So how do you? So how do you? Yeah. Okay. On the plane of air, mm -hmm. you can you can mostly fly most mm -hmm. of the time. Yeah. I mean, what are you gonna do here? You're gonna you're not gonna leaf the ground. I'm sorry. I had to throw. <laughs> it in I I couldn't get. I had to do a third leaf pun. Listeners, I'm sorry. I know I'm not at the top of my game, but I felt like it would be a good idea. So the plane of wood oh. has normal gravity. So it also has air to breathe. It has solid ground for you to stand on, which means that you can't just kind of walk or climb around relatively normally. Uh, getting around will probably often mean climbing the various trees of the plane. Some of them are like planet sized, so you might not be climbing so much as just like walking on an incline or what have you. Uh, but the elemental lords are keeping travel on the plane restricted right now due to the dangers that are posed by Ayerzul's blight. What does that mean? Like, if you're, if you're climbing branches that maybe they didn't set, say are good to be climbing, there might be some wood genies that come by and say, you gotta quit climbing here, man. You gotta go back to the city because it's not safe out here. Yeah, if it's an area that is affected by the blight, there might be someone, like, guarding it to keep you away from it. But access to the plane as a whole is restricted as well. So, like, even getting through a portal to explore the plane is difficult right now. I see. So you, co you come across a portal which could be connected to the plane of wood. It mm -hmm. might be guarded on both sides. Mm-hmm. It could be. Or you could get in through a portal that maybe the elemental lords don't know about and then it becomes like a story point when they discover you exploring it or if you fall into somewhere that does have the blight and you get sick or any kind of thing like that mm -hmm. so if you go visit 
Mm-hmm. If our if our adventures are here, we're, we're we are in a portal that they have allowed us to come through. Maybe we're, dim, you know, maybe we're some diplomats or something from another plane. Mm-hmm. What cities are we going to be visiting first? So the first city that you would probably visit is Shotokar. Shotokar is a new city that was founded in the hollows of a dormant volcanic candlenut tree. Uh, and the thing that is notable about Shotokar, why it's probably the first place you would go, is because it contains one of the plane's most high-traffic portals. There are ex- I see. You're allowed to use this one. Yeah, so this city has built up around the portal, and it's expanded as a hub of commerce, of information and entertainment, and then it also has a gladiator arena that is popular with adventurers. Adventurers do be loving their blood sport. Mm-hmm. But the biggest city on the plane of wood is Nautilin, the glowing infinity which is built within the trunk, branches, and even the roots of a single Jamjuri tree. Nautilin is a collection of multiple metropolis-sized cities, and it's the largest settlement on the plain. It has vast networks of clockwork lifts, trams, and gondolas that connect the far corners of the city to each other. And each branch of the tree containing, again, its own like metropolis-sized settlement, specializes in a single pursuit, like a branch that specializes in the fine arts or in animal husbandry. There are a lot of people in Nautilin and a very high population density. This reminds me of, when you first read about this and each metropolis has its own specialty, like animal husbandry or fine arts, you, you, a, a casual listen might make you think that's a little ridiculous. Like you don't see a whole New York dedicated to a single thing but you know you do kind of see like whole cities spring up around a certain industry Mm -hmm. that is a thing you know detroit was the metro city of the u.s for a reason right that's all this is describing just in a Mm -hmm. fantasy sense and on on one of those planet-sized trees i imagine that's where you're gonna find this city you know inside Mm -hmm. it outside of it moving throughout like, like some type of civilization of termites you know like this <laughs> that's kind of how i see this now the elemental lords of the plane of wood like i said one of them was affected by Irizel's blight that is shumanue the carved lady of mimicry shumanue's areas of concern are wood camouflage carpentry mimicry and life her edicts are to celebrate births make time for nature and to recreate life in your works. And her anathema are permanently damage a plant or wood creature or to polymorph another without their permission. I read that uh, she's the only of all the elemental lords that does not originate from the plane she's the lord over. But yeah, I that's right. see them say where she comes from, which really mm-hmm. makes me just come up with all kinds of wild ideas about where she originated. Yeah. And oh, and then, I love that she came in, like, she started carving animals and giving mm-hmm. them life and, like, teaching them how to be alive and then taught them how to carve animals so that they could continue their line. It's just, yeah. it's, it's so cute. Yeah, that, that's what makes her a lord of, like, life, right? Yeah. And then Verilorn, the custodian of oak and ash, is the elemental lord of wood, cultivation, forestry, gardening, and security. His edicts are to patiently plant your seeds, to plan for orderly beauty, and to watch over your sproutlings. And his anathema 
are to abandon your post, neglect your crops, or to purposefully pervert nature. Now, I think it's important to mention here, on the very previous plane we did, we literally just said, the elemental lords are yin and yang. There's a good mm -hmm. and a bad. That's not actually true for the plane of wood and the plane of metal. Because right. these are just now coming back into the existence, into the great beyond. These elemental lords have kind of been uncorrupted for lack of a better word by mm -hmm. the perceptions of mortals about their elements so yeah they've so, been they've been just kind of like isolated on their own plane lords of wood surrounded only by creatures of wood and influenced by the version of wood that creatures of wood envision yeah so they're kind of the things that they're about aren't necessarily going to be strictly benevolent or malevolent mm -hmm. They're going to be wood-like, you know? Yeah. And if you're looking for some kind of morals to put on them, you're barking up the wrong tree. Badumptus. All right. All right. All of the trees in the plain of wood must have a source of water, though. If you go to the roots for long enough and we hit the plain of water, what do we find? Yeah, so there... So the plane of water is like a vast, infinite planar sea. Stretches of saline, fresh, and brackish water are all filled with different ocean life. Uh, the plane of water is dotted with forests of kelp, magical currents, all sorts of stuff. The plane is lit by submerged suns and by so <laughs> and also by like bioluminescent creatures or bioluminescent plants uh, before descending into darkness along where the plane borders with the plane of earth there are areas of breathable air on the plane of water uh, that are found across the plane either created by areas where the pressure is different pockets of the plane of air or created intentionally with magical wards my big my biggest question for the plane of water especially as someone who started i started my education trying to be a marine biologist before i mm -hmm. just kind of branched out into general wildlife science but my that but that's why my big question though was like what's the pressure like you know on earth if you go down too far you just you just die you just die from the pressure mm -hmm. unless you know you, you've evolved in that zone and you can handle the pressure but it, it sounds like here in the plane of water, it sounds like the pressure at what X depth might be a little bit less predictable. Yeah, there are probably going to be areas where the pressure is different, but the pressure doesn't necessarily correlate with depth in the same way that it does like in reality. And I guess that's probably because gravity doesn't necessarily work the same on these planes. You know, exactly. here the uh-huh nature of gravity is why we get this uniform gradation of pressure. But, exactly. You know, that's not necessarily how it be. Yeah. So the wetland. the plane of water is another one that has subjective gravity, but unlike other planes like the plane of air with subjective gravity, creatures on the plane of water move around either based on their swim speed or by using actions to swim. I guess you could catch a current too. Absolutely. As long as you yeah. don't catch the wrong one. I was reading about <clears throat> the ripples on the plane <laughs> of water. Yeah, okay, I don't want to get them wrong though. Jess, tell me about the ripples. No, you tell me about the ripples. Okay, so 
well, correct me then if I get this wrong. But the ripples then are like, if you imagine like a ribbon, like a phys imagine like a physical ribbon, but like really long and like like a ring just expanding through the plane. But imagine it's not like a physical ribbon. Instead, this <laughs> is just like a, a, a concentrated like ripple of a thing. Maybe it's intense cold. Everything that just passes through this ripple gets like frozen. It's intense hot. It burns it. It's intense, you know, necrotic. Who knows? That's what the ripples are. They're kind of like these unstoppable forces of nature that move through the plane of water, just like really concentrated little ripples on the surface of water. And they can be devastating. Like if you get hit by the, if your house gets hit by the wrong one, you ain't got a house no more. So what the, what the genies of, like, the major cities do is they come on out and they try to, like, manipulate the currents so it avoids the city, you know. Okay, I thought that yeah. was such a neat little feature to put on the plane of water. It's evocative and it's strange in a way that makes sense for an extra planar setting. Yeah, but it's kind of just, like, the, the kind of weather that you would have, I guess. Yeah, yeah, like the weather. Like, if someone was describing tornadoes on Earth... To someone not from Earth, how would yeah, it be? Yeah, yeah. You know? It's like a, it's weird and it's destructive, but it makes sense and it's kind of beautiful in a way. Yeah, so in addition to the ripples, there are also currents that move across the plane that are kind of used as like moving roads. So you can like catch a current to just travel very quickly across the plane. Or another way that you can travel around is by catching a ride just on like a giant manta ray or on a whale shark. Just, you know, like, get up on there and they'll give you a ride. They'll, you know, you can piggyback, be, do a little hitchhike. Well, as long as it's okay with it. Make sure you ask mm -hmm. permission first. Mm -hmm. Get your druid to help you ask permission. Yeah. <laughs> I loved... I'm going to do one of the cities okay. here because it's so... Interesting. It's so different. It's called City on Lore. All right, listeners, imagine a giant anglerfish, a primordially large anglerfish, like, like Manhattan Island anglerfish, right? And then you have all of Manhattan on it, right? That's what City on Lore is. And Lure is the anglerfish. That is her name. It is a her. Uh, you know, listeners who know a lot about marine biology must know that if it were a male anglerfish, it could not be as large. It would only be, like, I don't know, New Jersey or something, right? That's how big it would be. Uh, that checks out to me. But but from what I understand, Lore's getting, you know, Lore's getting a little older. Lore is, you know, maybe getting tired. And she's mm -hmm. been sitting, like, kind of in a spot. So whereas maybe she used to be, like, a used to have a city on her back that was considered, like, a trade, a mobile trade hub. Now Lord just kind of sits, and you can go find it. But I, I, I read a little rumor about Lure too, that her light is starting to get brighter and brighter because she... Well, what, what is she? She keeps the darkness at bay? Well, help me with that one. Yeah, so the spot that she's chosen as, like, her stationary spot is very close to a place called Phantom's Ebb, which is kind of like a shadowy graveyard that is filled with undead. And so there are people who are speculating that she's getting her, that she's shining her light, like, brighter and brighter in order to keep the undead in this graveyard at bay. 
and that oh, maybe like she's undead, like undead, like fish, undead sharks, undead <clears throat> seaweed. You know, who knows? Undead, undead, like maybe like mysterious, very bad things that need to be kept like imprisoned oh, or something. And oh, maybe Lure has like deliberately chosen this spot in order to keep something sealed inside Phantom's Ebb. You're talking like Lovecraftian stuff Perhaps. down there. That is cool. I'm sorry. I, look, I get that like Lovecraftian stuff, it's kind of old hat these days. I mean, it's in the public domain. But there's something about like the eldritch horror at the bottom of the ocean, mm-hmm. which will never go out of style. That is so cool. I mean, there is uh, one of the uh, the Darvaka, who is like an aquatic, uh, like void, shadowy creature that just like lurks in the depths, right? Well, what are the Darvaka? The Darvaka, uh, the nightshades. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. So one of the other major cities uh, is Vialesk. And Vialesk, the shining pearl of the plain of water, is a city that orbits one of the flaming suns at the center of the plain. Uh, this sun is called Palixna. And so Vialesk is comprised of two sets of towers. One set of towers are all inside of a massive bubble of air so that people who breathe air can be in the city safely. And the other set of towers are on the underside and so they extend down into the depths. And so the cities, uh, there are the towers of the city reaching up and the towers reaching down. And then there's the area at the center where uh, the denizens of these two halves of the city can meet together. And that's where all of the markets for trade are or like places where people can do meetings. Being so physically divided like that, there is no way that that city is not culturally divided yeah. equally, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, what does it mean to be on the like air breathing bubble side of the city? Like, is that just a place that visitors and tourists go? Or are there people who live in this city in like the air side instead of on the water side? And what if you're like amphibious, you know, and you live in mm-hmm. the water side and you go visit your friends on the air side? What mm-hmm. are your, what do your parents think about that? You're hanging out yeah. with those mouth breathers, you know? Yeah. I think that's a very cool city. So, so who lives, or, or not lives necessarily, who lords over the, the, these elemental waters? Yeah, the elemental lords of water. We have Calisandri, the brackish emperor, who is the elemental lord of drowning water in waves. His edicts are instill hydrophobia in others, kill your foes by drowning them, and sacrifice treasure to the depths of the ocean. And then his anathema are to destroy a body of water or to use magic to calm the waves. If he's called the Brackish Emperor, does he actually prefer Brackish water? Yes. He is, um... Kelisandri is a primal dragon. He is a brine dragon. And he lords over a bunch of other brine dragons as well. Well, now hold on As a... Let me just get a little... I push my glasses up. Let me get a little um, pedantic here. Mm-hmm. Brine dragons aren't brackish, are they? Well, aren't they pelagic? All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think that they're just using just using brackish uh, in an artistic manner here. 
I think so too. So if he's kind of the bad one because he wants you to, you know, put hydrophobia in others, you know, and he wants you to drown. By, yeah, and he, he probably, as you say, by drowning their friends, uh, then that means that the other one is the nice parts about water, yeah. right? Yeah, Lysianassa, the Empress of the Torrent, is uh, the elemental lord of currents, flow, ocean, tides, and water. Her edicts are to change to avoid stagnation, promote life and growth, respect and aid the flow of natural cycles, and to swim. You and her anathema swimming, it's good for you. Mm, and her anathema are to dam a river, to disrespect the sincere gifts of water or drink, or to, to pollute clean bodies of water. So Lysianassa is definitely on the Captain Planet team. Oh my, you're right. Yeah, she's definitely one of the Galarian Planeteers. I guess, maybe not Galarian, the Inner Sphere mm-hmm. Planeteers. Yeah. Okay, so let's say that our adventures take a, a bubble submersible, submersible off of City on Lure. There's a big attack coming from Phantom's Ebb, and they want to escape that. So th- they get on the, on the submersible, like, like a copper bubble, and, and they move uh, away from that. And, you know, deep down here, though, where she's kind of wedged, they run into, like, maybe just some, some forms, like rusted shipwrecks, but not necessarily parts of ship, you know, these plates of jagged, rusted metal. And, and, and as they get lodged in there and they have to escape through this, you know, their, little, their little submersible kind of plops and rolls over into the plane of metal. Yeah, the plane of metal what? is the next plane in the inner sphere. What do they? What do they see? They get out. They somehow know that they have breathable air. I guess they got lucky here. And uh, yeah, what do they see? Yeah. So the plane of metal is shaped in a lot of ways by the countless overlapping magnetic fields. That that's a whole theme here, isn't it? It is very much so. Yes. So there are decaying cityscapes, towering metal monoliths, deserts of rust drifts with spheres floating over the dunes, magnetically pushing and shaping the sands. Bolts of lightning hundreds of miles in length arcing between the distant peaks of tall mountains. In the entire plane, things are just kind of being like shifted around and shaped and changing over time as the uh, the magnetic fields like m- morph them now these decaying cityscapes did somebody make these and now they're decaying? oh yeah absolutely okay, so- yeah yeah the um inhabitants of the plane of metal uh have kind of a habit of building and perfecting marvelous cities but as soon as the city is done as soon as it's complete they abandon them and go build a new city start on the new great work uh, and so then these cities just kind of are left to decay and the the ruins are just scattered all over the plane because one of the major themes of the plane of metal is like Entropy, rust, things falling apart. But also the act of creation, right? Mm-hmm. Also, like, the enjoyment of making something beautiful and perfect and then allowing it the natural evolution. 
Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so the plane of metal is another one that has, like, kind of normal gravity and solid surfaces for you to walk around on, though it doesn't have a traditional horizon. So when you kind of look into the distance, what you will see is that the the ground seems like it curves upward as though the entire plane is on the inside of a sphere. It's all coming back to those spheres. All coming back to those spheres. Oh no. Listeners, if only you could see the, the, the little funny face Jess was making. Yeah. But, um, so getting around on the plane of metal, like, you can walk around or whatever. Uh, the magnetic fields shifting the landscape can maybe make it challenging to, like, navigate by landmarks since they might change over time. And then compasses also don't really work in this quite the same way that they do on Golarian just because of all of the magnetic fields. So, like, your compass will point in a direction and that might be useful to you for navigating, but it's not just going to be like, oh, there's a north and my compass always points there. But I have a feeling that wherever you are going to is going to look like an H.R. Geiger painting. Like, oh, yeah. I, get that, I get that feel for this whole plane. It's, wood is the plane that is structured, right? Mm-hmm. You would think metal is. You would think, but it's not. It's this dark surrealist place of sharp edges decay you know and that's kind of that's kind of a a neat aesthetic Mm -hmm. when you look at what constitutes the rest of the inner sphere planes you know i kind of yeah i I really dig it Uh, plane of metal was always going to be my favorite it was always going to be the fans favorite but the choice of going down this road really sets it apart yeah it's very cool but now that means that some of the cities are still doing okay, right? Some of them oh, yeah. people actually stay there. Oh yeah. So the biggest city on the plane and the home of the Zuras, the metal genies, is uh, Argyrus, the Ringing City. It's built above a continent-sized deposit of adamantine, and it's called the Ringing City because of the sound of like the clanging hammers of smiths working away in the city. And Argyrus has both the city as it exists above this deposit of adamantine, but also the city as it exists below in kind of like the underground tunnels and subterranean chambers that descend for miles beneath the surface uh, created by Talos miners, the like the metal genie can. Uh, And they're like secondary, like underground city that exists below the surface. Now, if those are subterranean, mm-hmm. you wouldn't think it's terranean in the, you know, strictly Earth sense. I mean, I'm sure there's some dirt there, but what, it's probably like, you know, like sediment made of like rust and, and you know, detritus and, you know, mm-hmm. flex metal shavings, you know. Yeah. And an like, interesting, and, like ground. Right. And like tunneling into the deposit of adamantine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tunneling just straight through metal. The ground doesn't even have to be, you know, a, a sediment made of parts. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. But it seems like there's always a second big city, <laughs> isn't there? Yeah, so the, the second city... It's like one of the physical properties of the inner sphere. 
Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the physical properties of the information that I uh, prepared, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more it. So, a secondary location, we've got the Soaring Islands. And these are islands of metal floating in the sky that are all held together with electricity that coils through uh, repelling the islands into the air against the magnetic fields on the surface. And so these are settlements that are built on top of and beneath the islands. And so elementals and genies that are made of metal can use their magnetism to substitute for gravity uh, to kind of walk around beneath the islands. But any creature that is like a visitor, you're going to have to wear some, some metal shoes. Yeah, get some metal shoes. They're probably heavy. Mm-hmm. And now, different islands have different settlements, and they all vary in terms of what they are. So there might be like the, the private sky islands of Azura Noble, or a stronghold of like a band of sky pirates, or an island that is like a secluded laboratory of a wizard. Now, I have a challenge for... My former co-host, Luis, from Legend Lore. Long-time listeners will remember my very good friend, who is now, like, one of the big wigs on the Lore team. So, Luis, mm-hmm. I have a challenge for you, okay? I want you to please come to the Discord and please tell us all what the deal is with the cities on the Plain of Wood and the Plain of Metal. These planes have been locked away for countless centuries, right? Thousands upon thousands of years. But... They have art, culture, histories, and they're not necessarily the art, the culture, and the history of just the plane that they're on. So did they know about the other planes and the other planar cultures, but they couldn't talk to them? What's the deal there? Luis, I'm calling you out. Come tell us about where the cities on the planes of wood and metal came from since they are new to us planes. Well, the, I mean, the elemental planes, like, before the planes of wood and metal, uh, like, they, they've reemerged now, and then there was a long period of history where they were sealed, but there was also a period of time before that, right? So before they were sealed, when they just existed as the six elemental planes, right? Is their technology super outdated? You know, if like if if you get a if you get a burner like a, a wood if you bur- if you get a stove from the plane of water and you get a stove from the plane of metal, which one's gonna cook your food better? You know, that's technology Ooh. right there. Ooh. I mean, I guess the plane of metal, you know, because cast iron grills. But outside of you know cast iron grills, you know, they might just have like technologies that developed very differently just because like metal elementals and creatures made of metal don't necessarily need the same kinds of technologies that mortals on Golarian need. Ooh, they might have like such different kinds of cooking instruments that they're unrecognizable mm. to the palates of mortals. But there's also just the matter of like what they eat might be different as well. Of course, yeah, yeah, very interesting. Especially because some of these, you know, they might just eat magnetic waves. You never know. Mm -hmm. It's a magic world. They do magic things. Yeah, but I believe that there is a sidebar in the metal section that talks about the kind of diverging way that culture and music developed on the plane of metal during their isolation. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm, I'm loving to hear that 
especially if it does talk about the isolation of these cultures. So you know mm-hmm. that they're kind of developing in, I mean, the planes are infinite. So I mean, they're infinitely mm-hmm. large, uh, but it's still kind of isolated from the other. So it is in a vacuum of just that one plane, meaning that it's good. Yeah. Just, it's just interesting. The evolution of these cultures after being isolated is interesting. And I want to know more. Yeah. This also means that we have elemental lords, though, that have been isolated and uncorrupted by the minds of mortals. Yeah. So first we have uh, Faramnestra, the Lady of Rust, who is the elemental lord of metal, decline, inevitability, and mourning. And so her edicts are accept the inevitable, clear what remains of that which has fallen to ruin, usher the past into obscurity. And her anathema are to preserve knowledge that has outlived its time, restore an object or structure that has been reclaimed by the elements. And I think those are really interesting anathema. Yeah, all of this is interesting. A Mm -hmm. surface you know, thought or perspective might make you, might be reminiscent of Grotus, right? Mm-hmm. But this is more proactive. This is less nihilistic than that. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that the areas of concern include, you know, decline, inevitability, and then mourning. Yeah. Accept the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Usher the past into obscurity. But also, you know, recognize it, respect it. You know, you can mourn that. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, it is usher the past into obscurity, not destroy the present, right? That's true, yeah. That's and so even here, the anathema of preserve knowledge that has outlived its time, it's not just like destroy knowledge. It's like, if a piece of information is really no longer useful, there is no reason to keep it around. If this like recipe is outdated, you don't need to keep a record of it. You can get rid of your old recipe and not keep it around past its usefulness. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. You know, at, at, a, at an individual, like, household level, you know, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. You don't need to hoard yeah. knowledge. In fact, it, according to this to this element to Lord, Ferromnestra, you don't really need to hoard anything, right? Yeah. You know, this is, yeah, that's good. I like the and way that makes me feel, the preserved knowledge, do not preserve knowledge that has outlived its time, because I'm sitting yeah. here as a scientist and, you know, thinking, but what if, you know, this is a relevant baseline? <laughs> what what if we might need this for, and, and, no, if it's outlived its time, it's done. If it's a relevant baseline, then it hasn't outlived its time. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> I, we can justify any piece of knowledge. Uh, it, you Literally, any piece of knowledge can be justified mm-hmm. if we try hard enough. Yeah, yeah. But she, she's saying accept it. That's interesting. Absolutely, yeah. The inevitability. But I think that the next elemental lord would kind of be more on my side of, like, this information could be relevant at some time. It could be. Yeah, time. yeah. So, Laudin Mio, the sovereign of alchemy is the elemental lord of metal, alchemy, discovery, experiments, and regret. Oh, so God. there I, I forgot that ex- experiments is literally in discovery. This is literally the elemental lord of the science. 
Yeah, yeah. So their edicts are discover new alloys and concoctions, have multiple concurrent plans, and innovate the use of metals. No, nah, that's wrong. That's not canon. Th- these edicts are make an observation, form a question, <laughs> do a little bit of research, depending on who you ask, come up with a hypothesis, come up with a prediction, test your hypothesis, <laughs> analyze your results, return to step one as needed, uh, and, and share your findings. Those are the edicts of I'm this excited. sovereign of alchemy. I'm excited for your upcoming character builds who are like characters who worship Lloyd and Mio. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I did, I have considered that. Looking at all of these elemental lords, I have considered characters for them because they're mm-hmm. all so interesting and evocative. Oh, yeah, yeah in, I love them. In no small part, I prefer them, the elemental lords, the pantheon of elemental lords, I prefer them to the inner sea deities. Mm-hmm. Pretty much across the board, there's a few notable exceptions, but yeah. these they're all really good. Yeah, so with those uh, edicts of the scientific method, uh, (laughs) Lud and Mio's anathema are to, uh, so the anathema, allow your creation to fall into malicious hands, destroy an alchemical formula. So our adventures have escaped into the, I love how I'm coming up with a story for this. They've escaped into the plane of, into the plane of metal. You know, they've explored the cities of rust, you know, they, they, Pharaoh Nestra herself has given them like this great duty to just accept what is coming. You know, there is an undead horde behind you. You have to accept it. You know, but they're not they're not feeling that. They're more they're more with Luden Mayo, you know, the sovereign of alchemy. You know, go dis go discover something. Do an experiment. Figure out what will get you out of this. And make mistakes. Get messy. Get messy. That's right. You might have to get Magic down school in the bus. mud. Muffy, get down in the mud. And the best mud you can get down in? Yeah, so the next plane in between the planes of fire and the plane of water, but with those growths of the plane of metal touching it, is the plane of earth. And I understand, Lauren, that you've actually been reading up on the plane of earth. Why don't you take it from here? Why don't you tell us about the plane of earth? So the thing about the the thing about the plane of earth and about the earth element is it's like the most boring element. No. Everybody knows this. But I'm here to tell you, listeners, that that's not true. Earth is actually kind of cool when you allow it the freedom to be what it is, to be strong, resolute, and a composite of all of these different interesting elements. I mean, mm-hmm. hell, the entire plane itself is kind of like, it's just full of caverns, right? It's mm-hmm. full of all of, like, big caverns, small caverns, caverns that could fit entire planets. One of the caverns I was reading about in here is, is the, like the size of a planet, and it's just full of portals. Just an outrageous number of portals in here. And we're mm-hmm. talking portals to all kinds of different places. The inner sphere, the outer sphere, different places in the universe. Not mm-hmm. necessarily Galarian in the universe. The plane of Earth is your reason that you can canon make a character on Galarian who has come from another planet. (laughs) It's because the plane of Earth is a really good highway for them uh, to have that interstellar travel. That's, uh, I mean, that's neat. But um, all listeners, before you try to pull this off, I'll have you know, it is quite guarded. So a lot of the, 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 these portals, you're going to have to work if you want to get through them. 
right? But you've got other cool stuff in the plane of Earth. Like, you've got this huge city just made of, like, opal in all of the different mm-hmm. lustrous colors that, that, are, that are part of it. There's even a whole lake that is just molten gemstones just eternally glistening in in all of the different colors that a prism might produce under the mm-hmm. right conditions and then let's see what else what else am i missing here i because I, I know where i'm wanting to go with this i want to talk about the elemental lord of this, oh, yeah. especially the wicked one because this yeah. is easily the coolest of the elemental lords <laughs> all right just what what are there any big features that i'm missing here well like you mentioned, the Opaline Vault is like the big metropolis city. It is the capital of the Peerless Empire, the uh, the empire of the Jabali, the Earth Genies. And so they rule the Opaline Vault. It is like their big city, and it is located close to the border with the Plane of Fire. And the, the genies on these two planes are kind of in like... Uh, forgive me, but a cold war with each other. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Thank you. Sounds like they have a rocky relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And as you, like, read about the plane of Earth and the plane of fire and the uh, the two groups of genies and the kind of, like, politics that they have around the border, you can see, like, how tense it is, how much... They have like entire like border fortresses guarding the border and, and so on and so forth. Oh, but so the, when um, you say border, these are like these are so close to each other. They're like a stone's throw away. They are quite close to each other, yeah. And so the the Opaline Vault, though, there is a lot of trade that happens there as well. Uh, the Jabali have a lot of skill in like diplomacy, and they have trade agreements that they've brokered with different planar groups. And so different groups can come and trade with them in their city. And the uh, the plane of Earth is like rich in a lot of resources that you would want. Um, there are a lot of gemstones, a lot of precious things that you can find across the plane of Earth. And if you want to get them without having to like go out into the wilds and contend with the entirety of the plane, trading for them with the Jabalis in the Opaline Vault is a great way to get what you need. Yeah, but I imagine that these genies, they probably drive a hard bargain. Mm. If you're not careful, you might find yourself between a rock and a hard place. Very possibly, very possibly. Okay, this is where I'm getting it. I'm getting my stride here on the plane of Earth. You know, yeah, I'm really, I'm yeah. really feeling grounded here. Yeah. There are other cities as well. Um, there are a lot of city states that are all in a place called Citronide. Did you read about Citronide? I read about all these, but my memory is famously bad, so you'll have to help me out. Citronide is one of the like huge caverns that is like a, a continent-sized cavern that is lined with citrine stalactites that bathe everything in like kind of a pale yellow color and so citronite has about like 40 city-states populating this like continent-sized chamber and so this is kind of like the area that has the most diverse population and like uh, distinct rulerships that are outside of the domain of the peerless empire so outside of the rule of the genies and this is also where, well, not this specific place, but the Plane of mm-hmm. Earth, this is also where the Jaiomorns are. Is it Jaiomorns? 
Yeah, this is where the Zion ones yeah, are from. This yeah, this is where they come from. So That's I mean, right. You're you're probably gonna find just tons of relics and ruins, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. uh, just incredible, uh, incredible cultures that hasn't seen the light of day. Is there yeah. even day here <laughs> for so long? <laughs> I guess I guess you you might have like cycles of bioluminescent fungi 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 or something. I bet mm -hmm. you might have that. All right, but please, I can't wait any longer. Okay. Tell me about the fossilized king. Yeah. So the elemental lords, we have Aerzul, the fossilized king, and so we mentioned him a little bit when we were talking about the plane of wood and Aerzul's blight. So Aerzul is the elemental lord of bone, buried secrets, earth, and radiation. His edicts are to obscure your true motives, slowly poison others, use the strength of stone to protect yourself and your secrets. And his anathema are make a fire larger or hotter than necessary, or remove a creature's petrified condition. This elemental lord is at the center of his palace is just He's... a pile of the demon stones. Just a pile of them, right? That's what this guy is. This this dude is like, mm, man, I love what happened there at Chernobyl. That's this guy. He but is the worst. Why does he not want you to make... Do what? He's the worst. He is the worst. But why does he not want you to make a fire larger or hotter than necessary? What's his deal with fire? Did like oh, just, did somebody yeah, he did hates some it. fire come and burn him once or something? Uh, he, it's part of the like certain elements having like opinions of the supremacy of their element over another, and so there are certain like situations with the relationship between fire and uh, between fire and earth, right? Mm. So Arizul like he just he just not a fan of elemental fire. There's but, a rivalry there. Don't let the, yeah, don't yeah. let the fire have more than it gets. You know yeah. they don't deserve it. Now, Lauren, though, did you know that Arizul's areas of concern have changed since the last time he was published? Oh, really? Well, okay. What's not here now? Because that's interesting. Yeah. So here is the Arizul tea. All right. The the Listeners, inside. This is scoop. how you get the real lore and progression of a setting uh, in well, between editions as you see what has changed this i mean you'll you also you'll also get this tea by reading rage of elements but here's the situation all right we have all of the elemental planes and all of the elemental lords and then we have Irzul, who is just the worst and when the he he goes to the plane of metal and he attacks uh, Laudinmio, and he steals from Laudinmio the portfolio of metal. And then the planes of metal and wood are sealed away, and then Aerzul, while those planes are sealed away, while people forget about them, with his like area of concern of buried secrets and his edicts of like uh, hiding things, he passes himself off for like millennia as the elemental lord of metal wow and so in like pathfinder second edition gods and magic 
Ayrzul's areas of concern are buried secrets, earth, and metal. Wow. Whereas now they are buried secrets, earth, bone, and radiation. So this is progression visible within one edition. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now that you don't see often. Not not on this size, you know. That's cool. Yeah, so with the elemental plane of metal back and with Ladinmyo back, though Ladinmyo is like in a deep slumber, in a stasis. The plane has returned, but Ladinmyo has not yet reawoken. But they are still back, the plane is back, and so Ayrzul is no longer passing himself off as the elemental lord of metal. And it's interesting, how does how does Ayrzul losing metal, how does he pick up radiation, I wonder? Um, he was, he always had like some radiation themes and some poison themes. And so like his domain that he lives in is like in just an irradiated wasteland called the Blistering mm. Labyrinth. Mm. I guess he's just leaning into it more. He's yeah. saying, you know, let's yeah. make this a whole thing. Let's give yeah. this a whole area of concern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, then this means, now this means then that there was an imprisoned other elemental lord. A nice yeah. one, right? Yeah, and that was Syra Zul, the Crystalline Queen. Her areas... Like that's true. She is like a termite. She is a termite queen, like a, a gemstone, multifaceted little crystal termite. But she's the so, kind that, you know, wants to do nice things for you, not just destroy right. all of your wood. That's right. She is the elemental lord of the bounties of the earth, caves, fertility, and gems. Her edicts are to aid childbirth, care for Cyrazul's children, of which she has many, mine responsibly and shelter others within stone and earth and her she Mm -hmm. literally says i don't want you to dig too deep and too greedily Mm -hmm. that's right zero out of ten i'm not okay with (laughs) rock and stone this is the worst one wow so rude so rude to cyrazul uh and so then uh cyrazul's anathema are collapse an earthen structure on a creature <laughs> or damage subterranean natural wonders. Hold up. Don't drop a boulder on someone either? She don't want you to drop boulders on people? Uh, collapse an earthen structure. I think that means, like, don't collapse a mine on someone intentionally. Oh, I see. Or, like, if there's, like, a natural, like, stone arch, don't destroy mm. it on top of somebody. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I get, I get that. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't like her though. Zero out of ten. I didn't realize I didn't like her until I got to, until we got to the mind response <laughs> part. I'm like that's not okay. I was already a little weird when it's like she's yeah. like a giant bug thing. I'm like I don't like bugs, man. But now she wants me to be responsible. Come on, you can't, that's not okay. Irazul uh, stole from her too, you know. Who did? Oh, did he? What did he yeah. take from her? So the Zyamorns are Cyrazul's children, but. Ayrzul got in there and convinced them that actually he is their god and they should worship him. And he gave them visions of a future where their society has an apocalypse and convinced them that they need to sacrifice like the essence of herself, of her divinity that Cyrazul put inside of them to him in order for them to uh, avert their apocalypse. And so they sacrificed the divine essence that Cyrazul created them with to Ayrzul. And then didn't they go ahead and have an apocalypse anyway? 
Well, they have been uh, traveling around to different places doing experiments in science to try to learn the secrets of how they can survive. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like if our, if our, if our extraplanar adventurers, right, if, if they found themselves in the plane of Earth and, mm-hmm. and they have been traveling through the tunnels trav- and you know, they've been avoiding the portals they're not supposed to go in, eventually they might go so deep that a lake of magma hearkens the impending plane of fire. And, you know, maybe a cave opens up into a vast burning sea with grains of, grains of sand made of silica and, and, you know, who knows what else. How bad of a time are we going to have on the plane of fire? Yeah, so the plane of fire, um, first of all, uh, it's the plane of fire, it's full of fire, everything's fire, fire is everywhere, you are going to need protective magic from fire to resist the fire in order to not burn to death, suffocate on ash and smoke and die. I like how, ev- I like how it says that even if the air is breathable, you still it's still probably going to burn your lungs. Yes. <laughs> you you got to be protected. Yeah, the, the, the plane I, of fire... I in other places, like, the air is sulfur. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there are Especially. definitely, um, on the plane of Earth specifically, there are areas close to the borders of fire where there are caves that are full of sulfur. And because there's nowhere for the air to escape to, those chambers are kind of just like death prison rooms. If you go into them, like, you will suffocate. Yeah, and, you know, it's like, this is like stagnant, poisonous air that's mm-hmm, been mm-hmm, sitting exactly. for centuries untold. You know, exactly. this invisible death room, mm-hmm. you know. Wearing nose plugs, I guess. Yeah. No, 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 it doesn't help. That's not going to help you, but yeah. It's, it's very cool. But I, I do, I really appreciated how Rage of Elements takes the time to describe the plane of fire as a place that you can go. And if yeah. you're properly prepared, you can do the things that you want to do on a, on a place, you know, on a land. Like, you can go to the deserts, and you can trade there. You can mine there. You can... Do all the stuff you need to. You just have to be prepared that the rain will be, you know, fire, fire. and the windstorms will carry licks of flame with them. You, know, you just have to be ready for that. Yeah, it's it's definitely a very dangerous plane, and the elemental planes are kind of like challenging to explore. There are things that you need to know about getting around all of them, and things about like the environment that you need to take account in all of them. But the plane of fire is one of the ones that is kind of the most hostile because like if you do not have your magical wards up to protect you from fire, you will burn to death. And if your wards expire while you're out or if you try to like journey between two places but it takes too long and you have to camp, you might burn to death while you're sleeping. Like it's it is a very dangerous place, but if you are properly prepared and if you know what you're doing to get around, you can explore around, and there are interesting and beautiful places to explore. Yeah, I think something that Rage of Elements is helping me understand about the elemental planes. I can't wait to talk about these cities, but I've always, you know, for my whole TTRPG career, you know, like over 20 years of TTRPGs, I've always thought about the elemental planes. I've had my thoughts anchored on the element first, and Mm -hmm. then how does this element become kind of like a livable space? But mm-hmm. what this is, but what Rage of Elements is showing me is that it's kind of the opposite. What it, in concept, you should think of these planes as a livable space, mm-hmm. but with stark differences that are that 
element, mm -hmm. right? Like you get biomes of different temperatures and weathers in all these different places. It's just going to have a different feel to it. Like in the plane of fire, you're going to have some hot places and you're going to have some friggin' scorchers. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're going to have these different climbs of temperature. Just the average of that's going to be a little bit higher. And I really like that Pathfinder and the Rage of Elements specifically have, have done this for me. That kind of helped me see that these are places you can go. You can have whole adventures here. You know, there's, there's cultures, there's different peoples. You know, there's all kinds of just really intricate stuff you could have here. And I almost want to never play in the universe again. When we have the inner sphere being so interesting, so exciting, and so approachable, kind of. Approachable, asterisk, you know? Yeah, I, I'm so happy to hear that you think that it is approachable, asterisk. Like, that is a huge compliment in my opinion, when it comes to the elemental planes. Because I think people don't think of them as places that you can go adventure around. They think of the plane of air as like, I don't know, it's air, it's empty. It's yeah, the air. plane of earth, like, I don't know. Die. It's just like a, a giant solid chunk of earth. I don't know. Yeah. Unless you can burrow, how are you going to get around? Mm -hmm. You know? Exactly, no. exactly. The plane of fire is literally just fire. And the ground is denser fire and the air is less dense fire. No, but that's mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. what it is. You know, these are places. Picture a place like you, like we are used to, and then just make uh, all of the things about it the elements. Mm -hmm. You know, like the plane of water. There, 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 is, there is ground there, you know, mm -hmm. and there are benthic animals that live there. And, but there's also cities that float around on the backs of turtles or whatever. You know, there's all kinds of, it, yeah, it is. Yeah. I th that's what it is, is instead of centering or starting the concept with the element, you start the concept with a diverse place with people and things and features that can be explored and enjoyed, and then you dump a bucket of water on it. <laughs> that's the elemental planes. Yeah. So the plane of fire is the outermost, the final layer of the onion, the elemental onion of the elemental the planes elemental of the onion. inner sphere. And the Plane of Fire is also special because it has, like, the greatest, biggest, like, most magnificent metropolis with no equal of all of the multiverse. Bigger than all of the cities of all the other elemental planes, bigger than any city on Galarian, bigger than Axis, bigger than anything in the Outer Sphere, just the biggest city, like, across the entire multiverse. And... In other editions of the game, we might have called this city uh, the City of Brass. And it is still made of brass. But now, uh, with the Pathfinder remaster and moving away from the uh, OGL names that things have, this great metropolis of the Plane of Fire is now called Medina Mudia. Medina Mudia. I was wondering how yes. you pronounce that. Well, maybe I'm wrong, but to, to me reading it, I think it's Medina Mudia. I think, no, I think you got it. I was trying to figure it out, and that's the first one that mm -hmm. sounds right. I figure if you're from there, though, you probably don't say the full name. You probably don't say, I'm from Medina Medua. You just say, I'm from Medua. <laughs> from Medua. Which part? Uh, uh, are, you, are you from Flame Street, or are you from Ember, Ember uh, Avenue? Yeah, yeah. So, Medina Mu so Medina Mudia is the capital of the, domain the Dominion of Flame the empire of the fire genies, the Ifrits. And 
Though they do welcome outsiders into the city for doing politics or doing tradies, uh, the fire genies are not the most friendly. They're dangerous. They're self-serving. The laws and regulations of Medina Mudia are like deliberately designed to benefit the Ifrits above any other people. And the inner ward of the city is also like segregated. It is for Ifrits only. They want outsiders to come visit Medina Madua so they can take advantage of them. I imagine Absolutely. there's so many casinos here. It's probably oh, yeah. outrageous. That makes sense to me. That checks out to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but and, um, you, and you might find that if your dice are too hot, it may be more than you can handle. <laughs> uh, there is a city you can go to that is less dangerous, though, and that city is Zajara. Uh, Zajara is one of the safest places for mortals to visit on the entire plane of fire. It was founded by Axiomite visitors who needed a home base while they were exploring the plane. And so it has like a, a crystalline dome that protects the entire city from the plane of fire. And so there are, there's like a, what's the word I want? Like an artificial environment inside, not artificial, a, 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 what do I want to say, Lauren? It's it's a habitat. Yes. It's a contained ecosystem. Yes, it is a contained from the climbs uh, out yes. around it. Yes, yes. And so the entire place like you can breathe and it's not going to just fill your lungs with smoke. There are greenery, jungle plants, planted around. It's like very beautiful and Zajara also goes to some effort to remain politically neutral. And so it has a lot of embassies of different locations, including the first world, including certain nations on Golarian, like the, uh, the Kelish Empire has an embassy. Uh, Hell has an embassy. The Outer Rifts have an embassy. The Netherworld has an embassy. And well, so I travelers can come. Like those embassies are from like a specific like mm -hmm. faction of Hell, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can't Probably. imagine all of Hell is uh, like, yeah, this is our embassy. You know, well, hell is pretty specific, like, like devils. Or... Hell is pretty ordered and regimented too, though. Oh well, that's friggin' true, isn't it? I'm mm -hmm. thinking. I'm, I'm probably thinking about like the abyss. I'm sure mm -hmm. there's not an embassy for the abyss. Uh, it does say that there are embassies from the outer rifts, but it is probably the case that it's like a specific demon lord of a specific mm -hmm. layer of the outer rifts that has like an embassy, and then. Okay, I'm sorry. I have now decided this is canon in Pathfinder. The most interesting campaign you can play is the managerial staff of the Embassy for Hell. Head cannons only. No, seriously, like, who, who has oversight over them? Who do, they, <laughs> who do they answer to? All of the Lords of Hell. No, right? I do think that would be amazing. Like, imagine that, imagine like your PCs, you're just like new recruits to the managerial staff. You're just trying yeah. to, you know, get by in this crazy city, or actually this extremely nice city, surrounded by intense flame, while all of your bosses are not sure which lord of the devils is going to kill them if anything is messed up by you. That is a story. Yeah. That's an interesting story. No, I do like that a lot. More like head cannons always. <laughs>
Now, these grand cities, though, they must have some grand leadership. In fact, I think that, I know I said that some of those other elemental lords were my favorite, but I forgot about this one. I forgot Ooh. about y Ymiri, the Queen of the Inferno. Is Ymiri your favorite? Look, Drew, you're going to have to bleep this out. Because this bitch is fire. Ooh. I love this character. She is so cool. Look at this. Okay, let me, let me talk about it. Jed, you yeah, can do tell a better me. job. But let, let me get the basics of it. Okay. No, no, no. Ymiri tell me about Ymiri. Tell me about Ymiri. She is concerned. Oh, let me just talk about the picture first, right? Okay. Like, Ymiri looks like... Kind of like a... Imagine... You know what a centaur is? You know, you've got, like, a humanoid torso. And you've got a non-humanoid, you know, like a horse like bottom Ymiri's kind of like that but instead of like a horse bottom it's like a hulking friggin like giant thing you know and then the top of her is just all fire and brimstone like real cool her areas of concern are fire heat and smoke you know what you're getting you know mm -hmm. what she's interested mm -hmm. in and she commands that you be passionate and quick of wit Destroy your foes with fire. Destroy your foes with fire. And this is the best part. Inspire your inferiors with zeal and strategy. Mm -hmm. This woman has magma in her blood. And her tactics are just... Oh, they're just blazing hot. Her anathema, do not allow yourself to stagnate or to lose motivation. And do not extinguish destructive blazes. Yeah, I she's a girl boss for sure. Yeah, I get that she's supposed to be like the bad guy one. <laughs> but I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it so hard. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that any of these, except maybe the extinguished destructive blazes, necessarily have to be the bad guy thing. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm really not feeling it. I, and even extinguished destructive blazes, you know what this really means? Let me, let me sum it up. <clears throat> let it burn. <laughs> That's what it means. Yeah. This is more of an edict than an anathema. Let mm. it burn. But the reason it's an anathema and not an edict is because it's not optional. Yeah. You must it. let it burn. But, you know, if you're a follower of her, that's kind of like... That's just how you feel about things, you know? <laughs> like, that's not even necessarily like, oh, gosh, I have to let it burn. No, you're all, you, you're, you came to her because you want to let it burn. That's, yeah, that's her. Yeah, yeah. Did I miss any, so, did I miss any great lore about her? Well, I mean, like, the reason that she is an evil elemental lord, right? That's going to be because she uh, takes joy in, like, destruction. And she wants to destroy and rule over the plane of fire and she wants to like kill all her enemies and so on and so forth right i mean who doesn't as you do you know but she she is very much like a, a conqueror i just she just resonates with me you know i just I can I see feel that. it in my bones yeah i can see that our other elemental lord of fire is Atreya, the Lambent King. And he is the elemental lord of fire, purification, and radiance. 
So this is a very different Lord of Fire than Umeri was. He's he's good friends with Saren Ray, I'd, I'd imagine. I can they see probably, that. They probably, you know, like hang out on Tuesdays, you know? Mm-hmm. I can see that. Uh, so Atreya's edicts are burn away corruption, clear the way for new growth, and purify tainted areas. And his anathema are abandon a creature in darkness, deny a suffering creature warmth, shade, or water. He really just wants you to, you know, use the parts of fire, use the use the parts of warmth, uh, the the life giving properties mm-hmm, of heat. Mm-hmm. Use it use it for people to to reduce suffering. Yeah, you know, and that's fine. It's a little on the goody two shoes kind of boring side. I'd much rather burn my enemies to ash, you know. But you know, I mean, I guess sometimes you have to burn away corruption. I guess. But bringing it all back around to your other fave, Erzul, uh, those two are locked in like an eternal conflict. You realize? Well, I'm on. I'm on her team. Yeah, Erzul and Mary are enemies, and so yeah, the Ymeri, reason Mary can go kill him, take his radiation, take mm-hmm. all of his aspects, and use them as weapons of war. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. on. I'm on team Mary. Yeah, and so the reason that he has that like. What was it? The don't allow fire to burn brighter or longer than it should. Yeah. Yeah. The the anathema of making a fire larger or hotter than necessary. That's his like, I'm just real mad about Umeri and like my entire anathema are like structured around how much I dislike her. That's that's what I was thinking. She burned him. Yeah. He got close and he got burned. Because he is like a, a irradiated like skeleton. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine, like, somebody even brings her name up, and he's like, I hate her. Yeah, yeah, Don't let fires burn around me. That's how he sounds. That's canon now, too. Yeah. I think we've got a lot of uh, irons in the fire, though, in the form of listener questions. Oh, I'm so proud of you, Jess. That was good. (laughs) That was good. I'm really excited about our first question. This is from Listener Mirror, who asks, what metal song would you be blasting while riding through the plane of metal. Now, Jess, I've already got an answer for this, but I'm mm-hmm. honestly deadly curious to hear what you think about it. Ooh, that's really tricky. Um, I think there are probably definitely like some Tool songs that I would want, like the maybe the Flood. I've already claimed Tool. You can well, see it in writing on our little guidelines in front of you. So you have. I to don't pick, know what you want from you me. Know, Fine. You definitely did not will not claim the other ones I've done here. You definitely will. Sure, not. sure, sure. Uh, let me let me see here. You do you do yours while I'm thinking. That's what you should do. Okay. Uh Now listen. Mirror, I love where you're going with this. But I actually think it's inappropriate to play you know, like the most metal music for going through the plane of metal. And I'll t- at surface value, that don't make no sense, Thorn. What are you smoking? Clearly not the metal, right? Listen, I'm all about some metal, okay? Like some of my favorite art, I'll tell you my favorite metal artist is, I don't know how to say his name, but I know it's, I think it's Lido Mora Kukli or Frog Leap Studios. You can find him on YouTube. Incredible. But I don't think that's what you should be playing on the plane of metal. For the same reason that an artist, a very good artist will recommend when you are coloring something and you need to do a shadow or you need to darken something, you don't just use black. Right? It's too on the nose. It's not going to give you, it's not going to add 
the more feeling to the picture or to, or to the overall concept as you would assume it would at face value. Rather, instead, you use something complementary. And when I'm thinking about the plane of metal, I'm thinking about an entire plane of existence that looks like an H.R. Geiger painting. Mm-hmm. So I want music that complements that. And so I want metal adjacent music. I want things that just go with metal, like Tool. I wouldn't, uh, Tool's one. I wouldn't necessarily say that they are the metalist metal, but they're metal adjacent, right? And then I've got some weird ones. I, 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 do, have a, I do have ones directly metal, but it's still, it, I still consider it metal adjacent. I'm picking Danzig, because I love me some Danzig, and I think that there's certain climes or biomes in the plane of metal. Danzig would fit really well. And now I'm going off the wall. I'm going off the wall, but hear me out. In the right places, Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you've never heard of Tom Waits, listen to it. It's insane. He's, he's, like, a, he's like a poetic scat man. He's like, oh, you wouldn't believe the triple You know, he's like really weird. His voice is the metal thing. That was pretty good. That hurt the shit out of my throat. That was an but incredible was Tom Waits. That, that was actually an incredible Tom Waits. I can't believe I pulled that off. I rolled a nat 20 on that one. And then another one uh, for some of the... <laughs> Jess, Jess, you didn't know, but I actually do incredible impersonations. I didn't. I do, yeah. Uh, so that one's actually pretty good. My last one, my last artist that I think fits, mm-hmm. but for completely different areas of the plane of metal, Muse. Mm-hmm. I think Muse would fit really well for like, especially some of the parts that are more structured. They're, they're they have more civilization in them. I think, you know, Muse would be interesting. Okay, I'm. Don't I'm ask just me gonna... to do Tom Waits again though, because okay. that absolutely hurt my throat. That hurt me so bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, that deep. was that was incredible. Uh, I think I'm just gonna go with like Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral. Oh God, that's good too. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I didn't mm-hmm. think of Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I Patreon- almost went with Primus as well. I mm. almost went with Primus. And I think there are places you can do it, but I didn't see it as being as encompassing for the, the plane of metal. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patron listeners, Andrew, listeners, please. Go in the Discord and tell us how cultured we are with oh, our awful yes. music choices. But also tell us what your music choices are. Oh my god, yeah, that'd be so much fun to read. Yeah. Uh, patron Andrew Mullen asks, For people who aren't usually into metaphysical or extraplanar stories, what are some of the ways the elemental planes could appear in a less fantastical game? You know, I think ironically, I, I think I actually talked about that a little bit already. How you they are less fantastical than we typically think about them. Mm-hmm. They are just places that are very highly attuned to that area. And I think if you structure it like that, if, if you, you could, hmm, I think the way you unteach people that the planes are just complete fantasy, you know, I think the way you do that is maybe you put them on the plane for whatever way in one of the areas where it's not obvious that they're on that plane. You know, like, especially like the plane of earth is such an easy one in, you know, you get, you get too deep. You don't even know you're on the plane of earth mm-hmm. or even the plane of fire, the most inhospitable one, right? You, you, you find, you find yourself in a desert that is so blazingly hot, 
but not so blazingly hot that it couldn't appear on Galarian. You know, you're transitioning into the plane of metal and you, or plane, the plane of fire, and it can even be like a settlement there, and it can all feel very, very mundane. It can feel very the universe, while still being a transition state into whatever the plane is. I just don't think it has to be super fantastic. It doesn't have to be airships and steampunk all over the place you know it can just be a world that you know kind of is on fire sometimes yeah i think um to a certain extent there's no way that you're going to be able to do any kind of planar story in a way that is not fantastical at all like if you want to do a story where you are going to a different plane of existence there is a certain level of fantasy that that simply entails right like the fantasy of a different plane of existence existing the fantasy of an elemental plane being a thing at all you kind of just have to accept that mm-hmm. level of fantasy mm-hmm. if you want to do an adventure that is an extraplanar story and exploring the elemental planes. But I think that there's a lot that you can do to make them seem less far away and less uh, uh, unapproachably fantastical and less uh, alien by just having permanent portals that the player characters can use and have regular access to. So if they know that, like, there's this volcano that we can get to easily, and in this certain cave approaching up the volcano, we can go through there, and that is a portal that we know about that goes to the plane of fire, and we can go through at will, and traveling to and from the plane of fire is just, like, we know we go to this one place, and it takes us there. Reliable, predictable, Mm -hmm. mundane, accessible. Mm -hmm. Like, a, a portal itself is a fantastical fantasy element, but making it something that the players just have regular access to and can use or not use whenever they want makes the plane seem more accessible to them. Ooh, and what if the portal doesn't even look all that special? What if it doesn't mm-hmm. look like, quote-unquote, a portal? You know, what if it... This is... It's in the side of a mountain, right? What if it just looks like, you know, like the wood brace that holds up a mine... Mm-hmm. But on the other side, it happens to be that plane. It doesn't yeah. look like a portal. It just is. Yeah. This and is also- one of the things that Planescape did with the like city at the center of the setting, Sigil, the city of doors. The thing that was unique about Sigil was that it was a city full of portals. And you could adventure around the planes by going through portals in Sigil. You could get to whatever plane you wanted to as long as you just knew where the portal was so you didn't need to be like a powerful wizard casting plane shift you just you know walked around went to the market went through the portal that you knew was there you go to the information broker and get the information about how the portal is used and then you just you're off on your adventure on this other plane and we even talked about planar cities that have Mm -hmm. high traffic portals or Mm -hmm. or that are built on interplanar trade. Mm -hmm. These cities are going to have easy ways to get into them in metropolises all across the great beyond. Mm -hmm. In Absalom, there might even be a handful of portals that are just, if you are talked to the right guild, you can walk into the right portal. You know, that might be a thing. It, I think, and I think you really hit the nail on the head well, Jess. You just make it like a known thing, Mm -hmm. reliable and predictable. You know, I think that's yeah. a great way to do it. Like the plane of fire is very dangerous and the players need to prepare in a certain way in order to survive it, but you can uh, have a portal for them to use that they can access through like 
one of the nations on Galarian that has an embassy in Zajara, and the portal takes you into the embassy, and then the embassy will help to outfit you with any of the gear and supplies that you need to adventure outside of Zajara. Listeners, like, rewind back, like, 10 or 20 seconds and listen to that again. That was the best. That's how you do it. You have an embassy that exists on, like, on both planes, and, like, you know, they'll help outfit you if you're incoming or if you're outcoming, you know? That's that's a really good way to do it. I Mm. love that because that makes it so accessible, you know? To even, like, level one characters, that makes it accessible. You just walk into, you know, you get outfitted for the plane of fire, you go fight, like, little fire elementals and stuff, and you have whole adventures there. That's really great. Now, Jess, I did keep this next question here in our notes but really i'm not i I don't need to i don't need to say this because listener ioman has kind of the same question that i had and that many other people had can we just get just a just a simple clarification what is the churn yeah rage of elements does have a chapter called churn of elements and what the churn refers to is the combination of multiple elements. So this is the chapter where you're going to find the spells or magic items that encompass multiple elements or creatures that are multi-elemental creatures. And so the coming back to the idea of like elemental philosophies, uh, churn elementalism contrasts against discrete elementalism. And so discrete elementalism is like a framework where you view the elements as their individual components. Fire is fire, water is water. Even if you are doing something that combines fire and water, the fire and water are like separate and they don't touch. And you have like one of those like plastic dinner plates for children where it has the little compartments so that like your potatoes and your peas don't touch. Yeah, yeah. And that's discrete elementalism. Whereas churn elementalism or maybe indiscrete elementalism is the idea of like, you don't keep your elements completely intact. You don't keep them separate. If you're casting a spell that uses multiple elements, they should mix together. They should combine fully. And the material plane, the universe, Galarian, exists as like the pinnacle prime, like ultimate example of churn elementalism in practice. Because this it's is Galarian's the churniest churn. Exactly. Because Golarian has all of the elements, and the only way it can exist in the way that it does and have, like, lakes and trees and forests, the air to breathe, and everything across Golarian exists as a combination of the elements. Like, the plane of water is water in its purest form, and then you have oceans on Golarian that are water, but they're not pure water in the same way that the plane of water is pure water. Everything on Golarian exists as a synthesis of elements coming together. Jess, our last question here on this episode. The question for the planar queen herself. I want to know what it is that draws Jess to the planes, and if there was potential for new planes, which ones would you like to see? Well... I think there is... Oh, my goodness. All... And this is from our beloved patron, Dom. I can't believe yeah. <laughs> I didn't even give you the credit, my friend. Yes, thank you, Dom, for the question. Um, I mean, there's always space for more elements and more planes, of course. Uh, I really like in Planescape the way that 
in the inner planes, the elemental planes, you have like the the quasi-elemental and planes that exist like between the the planes, right? So like the the plane of dust and the plane of vacuum. Uh, I I am really compelled by those, especially the ones that exist between the elemental planes and the negative energy plane, and they all have like fortresses of the Doom Guard dedicated to entropy. I love those, love those things. Um, the thing that draws me to the planes and the elemental planes in particular, though, is kind of just like I feel resentful that they don't always get their due. Hmm. I feel like people they love them tieflings tieflings very cool they love the outer planes outer planes very cool i love them i love planescape i love exploring the outer planes going through the portals and sigil blah 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 blah. but the inner planes never quite get their due in the same way and like the genie can most people just like don't think they're as cool as tieflings and they don't usually get the same kind of like care and attention that tieflings get or like the elemental creatures often don't get to shine and be as cool as like the celestials or the devils or whatever right like the well we have a history in ttrpgs of mm-hmm. this is the fire elemental exactly and these are the devils mm-hmm. you know this is kind of I, I don't know if it's truly new ground to have like these are the elementals but it, mm-hmm. it feels a little bit like it i really love what pathfinder 2 has done for elemental characters, elemental creatures, elemental planes. I think that the work that we did in Rage of Elements and the work that was done earlier on in like the Pathfinder bestiaries on the elementals, I think all of it is really great and just really lets these themes, the elemental characters, the elemental creatures, lets them really shine on their own and be as cool as they always had the potential to be. I have a headcanon for new planes that is, uh, you know, it's true in my, in my world where each of the regular planes, you know, each of like, there are different regions in there. Like in the plane of earth, you're going to have like a region that is just like tons of friggin' gems, right? I have a headcanon that that leads to a microplane, the plane of gems. And I'd just like to see, you know, a bunch of little microplanes that are like hyper specific to like a certain plane, you know, like the plane of gems or maybe like, the plane of coal, you know, for fire, you know, different things like that. I'd love to see that. But just as the planar cycle, the elemental cycle continues on, we must continue on to a different episode and a nap because I'm exhausted. This has been the <laughs> longest episode we've ever done again, again, yeah. Yeah. again. <laughs> when will we stop? I don't know. But at the very least, that's all we have for you today. So make sure to check out the rest of our content on the No Direction Network. If you like this show or any of our other blogs or shows, like if you like Tavern Rats, which me and Jess are both in and having an amazing time with, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash no direction because it's the support of our patrons who make this all possible. Until next time, I'm Jess. And I'm exhausted. I mean, Lauren. I'm Lauren. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Legend Lore, and as always, if we critically failed the ritual, our minds would have become lost in the past. Oh my god, that was so cool! Cool!